Hey everyone, and welcome back to Country Music Made Me. Thank you so much for joining us once again. On today's episode, we are excited to be welcomed by songwriter and artist Graylin James. Now, although Graylin got his start in Nashville as a songwriter, it was actually back in his hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee, when he got his start as an artist. 11 years old, he started to play local shows, and over the years, he actually developed quite a big local following. But in 2014, he signed a publishing deal and moved to Nashville and really dove into the songwriting. In 2020, he got his big break as Kenny Chesney released Happy Does, a song that Graylin was a co-writer on. Now, although he's had success as a songwriter, Graylin could never shake that feeling of becoming an artist. And so, as he reintroduces himself to the world, he is happy to release his new EP, I hope she hears these. So please enjoy our conversation with Graylin James. To start off this journey, I don't think we could talk about it without talking about one very influential person in your life, and that's your papa and the influence that he had on your life. I believe he bought you your first guitar um, he gave you rides to guitar lessons. He gave you or bought you your first car, I think. You have dog tags from him. So just talk about him, the person he was, and how important he has been to this journey. Oh, absolutely. I mean, none of this, none of what I am as a person or as a songwriter, as an artist, none, none of it would exist without my without my granddad. He was, uh, he was a special person. He loved music. He always... Uh, Love Chet Atkins, the greats like Chet Atkins, Jerry Reed, Waylon Jennings. He would take my brother and I to school every morning, and we would play a Greatest Hits Waylon Jennings CD. Uh, and every time I hear that now, I just I see that Dodge Ram going to going to taking us to elementary school. And so that that's really where my love for if I had to trace it back, my love for country music began was uh, riding the riding the truck with my granddad. Uh, you know, it was always. That's where it, that's where it began. It was always country music on his radio and in his garage playing. And uh, when he found out, you know, that I, I kind of loved it and I wanted to wear cowboy hats and cowboy boots, and I was singing along to the songs that uh, were on the radio, he uh, he went full full in on it, and he bought me a little toy guitar for Christmas. And uh, it's a famous story in my family that that night when I was five years old, when I got that guitar that Christmas night, I played that thing in my bunk bed until my fingers bled, and they had to take it away from me. And, uh, and then that was the first, that was the year that I started kindergarten. And I remember writing down on a piece of paper that my mom still has that says, when, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, a country music artist. So, uh, it all started with my, my papa buying me that, uh, that first little toy guitar. And you're right, man. He took me to guitar lessons. Uh, he drove me to Nashville countless times. I can't imagine how many miles we put on, uh, we put on his truck going from Knoxville to Nashville. But, uh, I owe everything to him and uh, I miss him like crazy, but uh, now I've got somebody and I got that guardian angel looking out for me and uh, my career. It's awesome. That's amazing. And talking about him driving you to guitar lessons, I was wondering along the journey as a youngster, as you took lessons and as you developed, is there one teacher from throughout this journey that really stands out as someone that inspired you to do this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, uh, I went every Tuesday to a guy named Chris Bean and, uh, Chris passed away a few years ago and actually, uh, I wrote a song for him and his family and played it at a uh, Chris's funeral and played on, played on guitar. And, uh, he was a special person in my life. And, uh, I went to guitar lessons to, with him for two or three years until he set my papa down 
down. He was like, I think Graylin might be a little too good to be taking these lessons anymore. Uh, and he let me just spread my wings and go do my own thing. But he, uh, he was always a special person in my life and his family and I still communicate a good bit. Um, but yeah, he taught me my G chord, my C chord, my D chord that I, I write songs with. And, uh, I owe a lot to that man. I, I, he was definitely an angel in my life for sure. That's amazing. And so he gave you your first guitar at five, but then for your 10th birthday, did you get a different guitar that really started you on this journey? That's when I got my electric guitar. I got oh, okay. a little guitar, a little Fender. And uh, up until then, you know, I just, I would just play on that little toy guitar. It was mainly a prop uh, that I had. And uh, my parents built me a little stage out of a old Coke box that I just get up there and sing baby, write this down by George Strait. And uh, I'd sing that. I'd be all right. Everybody could gather around the fireplace, listen to Graylin, and I'd have that little toy guitar and just making noise. I wasn't really uh, making chords. And then, yeah, for my tenth birthday, they got me a uh, a little Squire Stratocaster. And uh, and I, I at that time I was playing little small restaurant patios around Knoxville. And uh, I remember thinking, man, I want to know how to play this, and I want to I want to do all of it. I want to know how to do all of it. And uh, so I started taking guitar lessons with that guitar and. Uh, listening to Brad Paisley records and trying to learn every note. So I, that guitar got a lot of, uh, got a lot of use and a lot of blood, sweat and tears on it. That's amazing. And so the performance side of this career, has it always been something that has filled you with joy and being in front of people doing this? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There used to be a lot of nerves I'll say, you know, and, uh, I think the nerves kind of went away, you know, early when I was a kid, because, uh, I wanted to be really good at it. I, I was always, my, my entire family played sports growing up. My entire community was very sports based where I grew up. And um, so I was just naturally competitive. So I just always wanted to be really good at it. And uh, so when I started playing in front of people, I wanted to captivate them. And uh, I wasn't doing that early on. I couldn't really sing a lick and I couldn't really play a lick on the guitar either. And so uh, I worked really hard. And uh, once it, once it finally got there, it became really fun. And uh, it was kind of like a drug. I just got obsessed with it. And uh I'm still obsessed with it, you know, here 15 years later, you know. Yeah, exactly. And on the voice side of things, when did you start to develop your voice and really start to grow into it? Absolutely. I would even say just the past year, I, I feel proud of the way I sing and uh, I feel proud to tell a story with my own vocal. You know, the past handful of years that I, since I first moved to Nashville, I've been writing songs and hearing other people sing my own songs. And um, I kind of fell in love with other people's voices more than my own. And then I'd say about a year ago, man, I, something happened and, uh, you know, I, I'm still young in some capacity, but, uh, really fast, but, uh, yeah, I think my voice is just now getting to a place where it's, it's really consistent and steady. And, uh, I'm proud to get in front of the microphone and sing for people and tell a story. And so back when you were 10 and you start playing shows, how quickly did it pick up speed? Because I, I saw like by 11, you were out there playing shows and you're playing festivals. So did you start playing pretty quickly and start doing shows and start getting into more of a career than just doing it as a hobby? Absolutely. And I, I owe my parents for that. Uh, you know, my brother played travel baseball. I played travel music. <laughs> I'd say uh, that was that was my version of it. I, uh, I, I'm very lucky that East Tennessee is such a uh, it's such a place that supports dreamers uh for sure you know I, in knoxville i come from you know kenny chesney's from there chad atkins uh kelsey ballerini morgan wallen we had so many people that did took the same exact path with music and country music specifically and so there was always somewhere to play and uh 
everybody wanted live music. So uh, even as an 11-year-old kid, my parents were sending out emails and going into restaurants saying, you know, my, my son sings country music if you ever need entertainment. And so uh, I'd show up. I'd have my cowboy hat. I'd have my bedazzled shirt. And uh, I'd go on in there and try to rock it out for a, a couple hours and sing some Johnny Cash covers. And, um, yeah, it did. It, it progressed from there to where I, I, I play little restaurants and I started playing little bluegrass festivals and country festivals and tomato festivals around East Tennessee and uh, barn dances and and then it sort of turned into I got a band and words kind of got around that uh, I wasn't half bad and uh, started getting out of East Tennessee coming to Nashville and uh, it kind of it, it's it's really a blur but I see videos from back then and I'm like God you know we were we were doing it I was doing it for a long time absolutely and off the start of that answer you mentioned Kenny Chesney now your adventure through life sort of with him on your shoulder so let's take the listener through this so i believe that guitar you got at five years old you pasted or taped a, a photo of kenny onto that guitar and then you lived five minutes down the road from his childhood home i believe his mom cut your hair as a kid and then finally at 11 you had the chance to meet him so just talk about what he meant for you during those first years of your life it definitely sounds it starts to sound a little stalkerish when you go through all the bullet points that are all back to back to back but uh it's all it's a true story every single one of those things is a true story you know i uh like i said you know I, when i was five years old kenny was massive i mean it was uh 2001 i guess you know i was born in 96 and that was when uh the keg in the closet was out there and some of the songs that i still rock out to in my car were uh they were massive hits and you can go anywhere when I, when I'd go and play those little restaurant patios, like I talked about, there's always a little old lady that would walk up to me after the shows and be like, you're going to be the next Kenny Chesney. I bet it. Watch, watch this. And I heard that. I mean, I still hear that now uh, when I go back home. Um, but yeah, you know, it started Yeah, five years old. I got that guitar and I did, I, I cut out out of my mom's people magazine, a picture of Kenny Chesney and I, I, I scotch glued it to, uh, to that guitar and I still have it. Uh, I saw it back at, I went home for the weekend. I saw that on there. And I was like, "Oh, nice!" And it's funny too, because now that I talk to him, you know, I talk to him now. I'm like, "God, he doesn't even know the extent of a lot of it." So if he saw some of these interviews and was like, if he was listening to this podcast, he'd be like, "Oh my God, this I need to rethink my relationship with this kid." Yeah, <laughs> but it's funny, you know. And also, uh, my mom got a Yorkie when I was eight years old, and I got to name it. I named it Chesney. Uh, and we just lost Chesney this past December, but oh, I got rid okay. of but uh. Yeah, you know, I just I loved him, and he he really showed me that I could I could do this, and my dream wasn't crazy. And uh, I think if I would have been from anywhere else, it would have seemed a lot more crazy than it uh, than it was where I was growing up. Because Kenny was doing it, um, even to talking to Morgan Wallen now, you know, he's uh, I think he'll tell you the same thing that Kenny Chesney gave us a uh, he gave us a roadmap to figure out how to do this and uh, get to Nashville and and do country music, being from East Tennessee. Right, and so in 2020 you get a cut with Kenny when you have happy does that he cuts. Now within that, had you been in Nashville long enough and been in this career that it was part of the career or was that really a geek out moment of, Oh my God, I might die right now because of what is happening. Oh my God. It was, it was definitely option B. Uh, it was definitely B because I, I remember I was napping. My dad was in town here in Nashville, and I was living in this uh, this shoebox house with cockroaches everywhere. And I'm just praying. I need something to get me out of here. I need something to get me out of here. Praying every day. And uh, 
and I was laying on the couch, uh, falling asleep to ESPN. And then I, I got a phone call and it was saying, Kenny Chesney's recording your song right now. And I remember picking up my dog and I ran outside. I'm like, I'm getting out of this place. I'm getting out of this place. And I'm never going to have to buy another beer. I remember saying it to my dad, I'm never going to have to buy another beer in Knoxville, Tennessee ever again. Uh, it's just, it was life changing, man. And, you know, I, I still have a hard time fathoming it. You know, I see, uh, I see the plaque on the wall with Kenny's face on it and my name uh, there at the bottom. And I still can't believe it. You know, those, those two years I got to hear that song pretty much every time I got in the car on the radio, it was just, I couldn't believe it. And uh, I remember the first time I heard the song, cause he recorded the song May of, I, can't, I think it was 2018. And uh, it didn't come out until 2020. Right. Yeah. Uh, it took a, it took a long time for it to come out. I never got to hear it uh, for you know going on two years, and then when it came out, you know I went I went home for the weekend. I wanted to experience it. I wanted to hear it for the first time with my family. So I drove to Knoxville. I got there, and to show you how big of a deal it was, my my now sister in law had a cake made with like palm trees on it, like Kenny Chesney, like lingo on this cake. You know, I, I go in the bathroom and it says, congratulations, Graylon, on the happy does or whatever. And uh, my mom had balloons with Kenny Chesney's face on them. It was just a, it's a big deal. My dad wore a puka shell necklace. So we were all just so excited. We had a Kenny Chesney party. And uh, I remember the midnight when it finally was out to the world on Spotify, Apple Music. I I listened to it and I heard his voice for the first time. And I my brother came up and hugged me, bawling. It was just such a big moment. And uh it's still something I still pinch myself and it still doesn't make sense, but uh, he's my hero and it's crazy that my hero changed my life. That's amazing. And as a songwriter, that single was a radio single, but if you get a cut, an album cut, that's just an album cut. Is there a big difference between that for a writer having an album cut and having a single? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, uh, financially, first off, you know, it's, it's a lot different. You know, I, I think, uh, I always say, you know, a first cut is career changing. Uh, a first single is life changing. Um, you know, yeah, that song bought me a house, uh, and that's pretty incredible. And uh, you know, so I don't have to worry. I didn't have to worry about a lot. And uh, and plus, you know, now I, I go out. I play these. I play that song for people, and they know it. And uh, I used to be asked on an airplane, you know, by people that like, oh, what do you do for a living? And you're like, I'm a songwriter. Well, have you written anything I know? <laughs> yeah. You know, if you just got a song on the album, they ain't going to know the song. But if you had it on the radio, they're going to know the song more than likely. And so uh, for pride and financially, it's definitely a, it's definitely a big difference. But, you know, it, we write so many songs that uh, don't get heard. So if you get me, if you make an album, I've got songs that are tons of songs that are on albums, but uh, that I'm still just as proud of that. At least some people got to hear. But you definitely want that single. You don't hear it on the radio. That's amazing. And now going back a bit to back uh, before you moved to Nashville and when you were more of an artist, I saw you were doing quite a bit with Lewis and Lee Bryce. And I was wondering how those relationships formed at that young age. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Lee was one of the first people and Lewis to tell me like, you got to move to Nashville. You got to move to Nashville. Cause I was, I was at that age when I was 15 and I was starting to think about college, you know, what am I going to do? And, uh, and college was never really on the table. And I, I got to go on the road with them and, and see that and I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to do. And you know, at the time, you know, uh, I got to listen to Lee talk about how uh, he, he he was a songwriter before he was an artist with a record deal and a star. Um, he was a songwriter first, and that I'd never seen that path. I didn't know that that was part of the journey that a lot of guys took. And 
that was the first time I, I learned a lot of things, but that being one of the more important things from Lee and Lewis, they were, they were songwriters first. They got their success that way. And then, uh, and then they turn into artists and start singing the songs for themselves. And uh, it's funny now seeing Lewis and seeing Lee out and both guys are crushing it. And I used to be their little brother. And uh, I think they still look at me that way when I see them out. But uh, they, I, I really appreciate them because I, I got to see venues that now I'm getting to play again. And uh, it's just, they were they changed my life for sure. And uh, I, I, I owe a lot to those guys. Right. And now back in the day, back in... 2013 i believe it was you went on the voice to compete on the voice um now although you didn't make it very far i wanted to ask about you were back there in 2017 you're on a writing trip in la and you got to go sort of behind the scenes of the voice so within this journey as you look back on what you were able to do and now where the journey has taken you and sort of the crossroads that creates what do you think about that no it's pretty wild man you know like in the Getting to see, you know, when I when I was when I was on The Voice as a as a contestant, you know, I I was so young, I didn't know what was going on. I thought that was going to be my ticket to stardom, and uh, that was going to be the thing, and that was the rest was going to be history, you know. And it absolutely was not. It was uh, definitely a learning experience, but like you said, you know, my life has had a a really funny way of uh, connecting dots, uh, and you know, with the Kenny Chesney thing growing up and admiring him to writing a song for him and him becoming a close friend and then the voice like you said you know I, I go back as a guest of the show instead of a contestant and uh you know that's 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 cool and then even like you know writing songs that Blake Shelton loves and he's hearing and thinking about recording and uh hopefully gonna be coming out like those are things that it's just it's it's really cool that uh it's making up for the disappointment you know uh sometimes and uh you know like you said you know, I was an artist before I became a songwriter. Now I'm going back to be an artist. And so I, I'm getting to revisit these things and fulfill a dream that uh, maybe it didn't come true, you know, when I was 15 years old. But now, you know, 15-year-old me would look at 26-year-old me and be like, oh, my God, we're crushing it, dude. So uh, it's it's pretty cool, man. I, I'm, I, I have nothing to say, but I'm thankful. That's awesome. And now 2014, I believe it was, you signed with Love Monkey Music, is it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Bob DePero. What did that mean within this journey? At that point, did you see songwriting as a path or was that relationship something that showed you that, oh, maybe I could swerve this way to create a bit of a niche and a career within songwriting? Absolutely. Um, I'd say it's a little bit of both. You know, I think that uh, when I got here, it was a, it, to me, it was a ticket to move to Nashville. Um, I got to move to a job and uh and then I got here and I was like, oh my God, I got to write songs every day. Like, what is this? I, I had no idea. I, I didn't know what any of the process was. I got to see a contract. I got to like take a contract signing photo and all that stuff was cool. But uh, it definitely was like a, oh my God moment. Um, because I, I didn't know what any of it was. I didn't know who these people were that were on my calendar. I opened my calendar app and there's these random names and I'm supposed to write a song with these strangers. I, up until then, I'd only written songs by myself in my bedroom uh, at my parents' house. Oh, okay. So, you know, going into these massive buildings filled with songwriters that were so much better than me and uh, I was like, oh my God. And I'll never forget, you know, Bob, Bob's a Hall of Fame songwriter and uh, yeah. for him to take a chance on me, you know, I'm, I'm very blessed for that, that he he saw something that I didn't even see back then, but um, I remember I wrote a song with a title that uh, Bob had also written that same title, 
And he was like, I just want to show you the difference in song quality. And that was the day my life changed because he played me what he had written to this title with the same exact title. And then my song, which was so much worse. And I was like, oh, so that's how you do it. And uh, so lessons like that, you know, learning from a hit songwriter at that age was, uh, it was life changing. And, uh, you know, he, Bob's definitely been a mentor of mine and, uh, you know, he's written 20, 30, number one. So, uh, getting to see that every single day, you know, definitely, it definitely opened my eyes like, Oh my God. And, you know, I got to see stars that I heard on the radio and grew up listening to walking this building that I also worked at. So, uh, it definitely was, uh, definitely something that opened my eyes, uh, when I first got here. So yeah, that, that was definitely a bit, really important part of my journey. And so when you made the official move to Nashville, at 18 years old in 2014, I believe it was, where was your mindset? Were you still thinking about the artist path or had you sort of switched at that point to thinking that maybe you'd have to do songwriting for a few years? I'll say, you know, I, I wrote for them. I wrote for that company for two years. And um, those two years, you know, I, I still thought like I'm, I'm one song away or I'm one moment away from being a star and I was going to be an artist and I was going to be selling out stadiums and uh, which was very naive at the, at the time. But to me at, at, at in that moment, it was realistic because I was in Nashville with all these famous songwriters. And then, um, but my songs weren't good. They were bad. The songs I was writing were really bad. I don't know what I thought I was going to sing in these stadiums that I thought I was going to be playing really soon, right. uh, but the songs were bad. And so, uh, at that time, you know, they were like, you know, we can't make this work anymore. And, uh, I got let go from that company. And, um, and that's when it hit me. Like, I gotta, I gotta get good at this. If this is what it takes, I gotta, I gotta become good at this. Um, you know, I thought the guitar and the singing and, uh, being young was going to be my ticket to this. And I thought it was just going to fall in place like everything else had, but it didn't. And, uh, I was like, I need to, I need to dig into this. So for six months, I didn't have a publishing deal. I wasn't writing for anybody. I was having to write with write songs with people that worked at restaurants uh, in Nashville. And um, I had to figure out how to write good songs to get another publishing deal, to get another shot. And, you know, I thought about moving home. I was like, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. And then uh, right. I swear to God, man, like one day I, I go on this writer retreat and uh, I write with these guys and, um, and it, it, it clicked and something just clicked and I figured it out. And since then it's just been like a hundred miles an hour. And, uh, it's been fun to write songs, to go in every day. And uh, I got another publishing deal. It changed my life. You know, I've, I've written songs for a handful of different artists and starting to do my own thing now. But um, if it wasn't for that moment, man, like, I, I don't know, I don't know where I'd be. I, I couldn't imagine having success when I first moved here. I, I definitely wouldn't uh, love it as much as I do now. Cause uh, I love telling great stories and doing it in a efficient way. Do you know what clicked like in that moment? I'll tell you what, the only time I've ever had it happen again was uh, with guitar. I was really bad at guitar. I'll never forget I had a guitar player in my band. He called my dad because I was taking solos. I was playing guitar solos in my shows when I was like 12 and uh, 12 or 13. And I was playing out at these shows and you know I was playing really bad guitar solos. And this guitar player called my dad and was like, I think you need to have a talk with Graylin. Like, I think it's hurting his show, him playing guitar solos. Like He needs to take a step back from playing guitar solos. Yeah, because I was that bad. <laughs> it's like this is not good, and uh, and so I I went downstairs and I, I at my parents' house and tried to get better at it and and I swear to God, man, one day like I just looked at the fretboard and I I, I figured it out and uh, I I can't explain it. It just like it all made sense to me and uh, I knew how to play solos. I, I you could 
tell me any song and I could play it. And uh, since then, it's not it's not unclicked. <laughs> and so uh, same thing happened with songwriting, man. Like it's just one day, uh, I could just hear a title and know know where to take it and know how to write a story. And uh, it's just it's been really fun to do it. It's been really fun to do it the past few years. So oh, wow! Uh, thank God for that moment. I don't know what happened. I you know, I, I just blame Jesus. Thank God. <laughs> and was that at the BMI Maui Songwriters Festival that that happened or was that after that it was it was after that it was after that i i uh i went down there with bob and it was still when i was signed to that company and oh, okay I, I had songs i had good songs that i had i had written with massive songwriters like bob or lee thomas miller or bigger songwriters eric pasley was another one that was down there and i'd written songs with those guys but i didn't write those songs they wrote those songs my name was just on them oh okay and, uh, the songs that i wrote with um you know joe smo over here or whatever uh they were bad. You know, the songs that were up to me to make good were bad. And, uh, and so, you know, I was down there in Maui and of course, you know, it was awesome, but, uh, the songs I were playing were not awesome. But, oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, that was a great trip. I love it. Right. Home. Yeah. And talk about Kevin Mack and the influences that he's had on this journey and supporting you in your growth. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So I met Kevin. Uh, it's funny you bring him up. I mean, he's, he was definitely somebody who was a key part of my journey. He was uh, one of my best friends uh, when I first moved here because we were both what we called uh, misfits. We were big fishes in small ponds, you know, when we were uh, in our hometowns, you know, we were playing shows for a bunch of people that knew who we were. And then we got here and it was like, what is this? <laughs> you know, and nobody cared who we were. They didn't care that we played shows in East Tennessee or he was from Virginia. And uh, we met each other and just hit it off. And uh, we started trying to figure that songwriting thing out together. He lost his publishing deal around the same time that I did. And uh, and we signed at the same little small company Keith Stegall had, uh, who produced Alan Jackson. And we signed over there, and we wrote with each other every single day. I got my first hold, which is basically when an artist is thinking about recording a song. Um, I got my first hold with Kevin on, with the song that I wrote with him. And me and Kevin wrote with uh, Walker Hayes like every single day. And then we'd go down to what was called Walker Wednesdays at this little restaurant when Walker still worked at Costco and we were just struggling songwriters and uh, we struggled together. But I, I look at, you know, I, I think 30 years from now, when I look at the best times of my life, it's, this is all fun. This is great having success. But um, those years where we were struggling and could barely pay our bill at Waffle House, God, we had fun. We had so much fun. Uh, Cause there's no pressure. We were just doing whatever we want to, but he, uh, he took me to shows, man. I, when I was just, writing songs every single day he would take me to these shows that he's playing on weekends uh in like minnesota in january and uh he'd pay me 50 bucks to just hang out with him going up there and man we just uh we had a great time and uh i still write songs about some of the times we had so uh he's doing great too now i think he's on the nico moon single at the moment so he's uh he's crushing it i'm happy for him he's got baby and uh he's doing awesome things but i, I love that guy and i'm uh i'm thankful for him that's awesome and so 2018, you signed with Universal Music Publishing, which was basically the game changer for you, because with that, you went on in 2019 to have cuts with Chris Jansen and then Kenny Chesney, like we talked about, a cut with Chris Young. And so talk about that time. Was there ever a time within that when you started getting these big cuts that the artist dream really started to take a backseat and you thought it may never happen? Yeah, you know, I I think a little bit, probably a little bit, you know, because uh, I didn't know that I didn't know I could make money that way, <laughs> and uh, 
like, oh, you know, it's pretty nice because I have my dog, and I'm like, you know, I, I wake up at like 10 o'clock in the morning, I go to work till like 2, I get home, I get to play Xbox, that's, I mean, it's, and make money, that's pretty, that's pretty chill, and then, uh, and then those things would happen, but I, I, I'd say, you know, the first year that I was signing Universal, I, I remember talking to my publisher, saying, like, I don't know if this whole getting cuts with people is going to happen, uh, I don't know how this is going to work, um, and then all of a sudden, I got three Chris Jansen songs on that Real Friends album, uh, like, in a month. Uh, it's like three months into my my publishing deal, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is crazy!" And then, uh, then yeah, the Kenny thing happened, and the Chris Young thing happened, and a handful of other things happened. And then yeah, I started playing these songs. You know, at, uh, I, I started getting asked to play these songwriter shows because I had songs that people knew. And then when I was getting in front of people and playing songs, it started to say like, "Oh my god, I miss this. I miss this." And uh, and then you know, I, I had like you know, Cole Swindell reached out to me. Uh, summer of i think it was 2020 and uh and he texted me he was like hey man i just want to i just out of the blue i didn't know cole uh oh, okay madam and then cole just texted me from songs that my publisher was pitching to his label and cole was hearing these songs like man i love your voice you need to be an artist like you need to do this uh we need to write i want, I want you to write and write songs for me but like you need to do your own thing too because i love your voice and we'd we'd write songs together i, I I would say Cole, if he ever listens to this, shout out to Cole because Cole would make me sing the demos on songs that we wrote together, and I'd be really frustrated. I'm like, no, I want the Cole Swindell. I want to show my friends that I got Cole Swindell. I wrote with Cole Swindell, whatever. Right, yeah. Uh, but Cole would force me to sing on the mic because he's like, man, I'm a fan of you and I'm a fan of your voice too. Like, I want to hear you on some of this stuff, and I want your inflections. And so that started kind of putting the seeds in my brain that, uh, hey, man, like I can, I can do this. I should do this. Uh, people want me to do this, so. And I want to do it. And you know, since I've been playing shows this year, uh, man, like it's it's just it's a bug, and I, I got it bad. <laughs> and now there was a show in October of last year that you got to play at home in Knoxville with Parker McCollum. Now, is that one of the first shows that really set you on this path to being an artist? Yeah, it's definitely like the comeback. <laughs> it was like Elvis comeback special. No, it uh. It was it was crazy, man. You know, I I think uh, just luck of the draw to add it to the story, man. Like when I started wanting to do the artist thing again, when I started recording my own songs, um, like where you got it from, which is going to be on this EP that you know we're going to be discussing here in a minute. Yeah. Um, I recorded that right before the pandemic started. It was like the two weeks before it started. Uh, and that's when I decided I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to play shows. I signed a I signed with a booking agent, uh, Kevin Meads and William Morris, and we're talking about tours. We're going to do all this and that and this and that. And then all of a sudden, pandemic happened, right. like, uh, which is the worst time. It's worth, it's a bad time for anybody. But it was like the worst time to be a new artist, wanting to go out and play shows. Yeah, shows to be had. Nobody was listening to new music really. It was the same old stuff. So, put pause for two years. So yeah, you know, I, I could say like now is when I first started feeling it. But it was definitely two years ago when I started saying like I want to do this. Um, oh, okay. And then, uh, so yeah, you know that that Parker show that was really when like new artists started to be able to open shows for people and me being one of them. And so that, that was really convenient. And uh, that was definitely the moment where like mama bear, like pushed me off the cliff and said, like, figure it out, you know? And uh, they sent me out. They're like, all right, you're going to be an artist, go play show. And, uh, and that was a big one, man. You know, Parker's crushing it. And, yeah. uh, and it, was in, it happened to be in my hometown too, you know? So like family and friends are coming and, uh, and man, God, it was, it was so fun. It was so fun, and we got such a great response. My, 
whole team came out and uh man it just from then on i was just like this is this is what i'm doing i'm not a songwriter i'm an artist that's also a songwriter right yeah exactly and now talk about i guess the end of 2019 beginning of 2020 as you're starting to think about this artist thing after so many years of writing for other people how long did it take you to get in a groove of writing songs for yourself and and understanding what you wanted to be as an artist it's weird you know i i don't think i've ever really tried to write for other people um i'd say you know i think that uh that's one thing I've, I looked at, like Shane McAnally and Josh Osborne, who were two of my my songwriting idols. Um, I learned their names pretty early on when I got here, but I I always knew when I heard a new album that came out of Nashville that I could always pick out a Shane McAnally song, and it didn't matter if Jake Owen was singing it or if Cole Swindell or Kenny Chesney or even you know Kelsey Ballerini, female artist. I could always hear Shane McAnally wrote this or Red Akins wrote this. Like my favorite songwriters always had a way of writing their songs. And people wanting to do that. And uh, and so I just started trying to just write cool songs and uh, songs that I loved and I was a fan of. And uh, and it kind of started, the songs started landing in the laps of, you know, artists that had record deals and were on the radio. And, uh, and so it wasn't really hard, you know, to find the songs that hadn't got recorded and that I loved and I was a fan of. I'm like, okay, I would do this. This is a Graylin song. And uh, so there's a lot of songs that, uh, you know, even, you know, the past two or three years, I'm like... Okay, that didn't get recorded, but I'll record it. So, right, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, and uh, so something hard, but then yeah, yeah. I'd say the past six months, you know, looking at my live show, saying, okay, I need an up tempo song, and so looking at what does that, what is a Graylin up tempo song? So, uh, definitely starting to have to look at that, but um, it's not, it's not incredibly difficult, um, mainly because you know I, I know what I want to do and I know what I want to say uh, when I'm on stage and what I want to sing the rest of my life. Right, and so were most of these songs written before 2020 then or did you take 2020 after things shut down to continue writing and some of these songs came out of that these songs definitely a lot of these songs are quarantine songs 2020 and 21 songs um you know my last release walls was written in december of uh 2021 okay Uh, that's that's a new song but you know damaged was a uh that was a zoom song that was one of the first songs i wrote on zoom uh in 2020 um and so, and then where you got it from? That was written in, God, twenty eighteen, maybe twenty nineteen. No, it was probably twenty nineteen. Oh, okay. That's a good song. Um, but uh, then we got some that are going to be coming out after the EP rolls out that are uh, songs I wrote a month ago. Um, so it's kind of all across the board, you know. I just I I don't want to forget about the songs I was writing three years ago because that was a important part of my life. Yeah. And so what did the production process look like? Did you go in and get it done at once or are you sort of trying to mix everything and go into the studio when you can around your writing and sort of get everything done here and there? It's definitely option B, uh, the latter. Um, I, so I, I self-produce all my own stuff. Oh, okay. Uh, and so I don't have a producer. Well, I do, but it's uh same guy that's singing it. <laughs> and, uh, and so it, that that kind of evolved because I, I couldn't find I couldn't find somebody that was doing what I heard in my head uh, as well as I thought I, it could be and um, and so I kind of just took a chance on myself and I thank my manager for believing in me they were they told me they're like why don't you just produce it yourself and I didn't think I could and then I started doing it and uh, people seemed to like it and so I kept doing it and uh, 
So I kind of just find weekends where I'm like, all right, this is this is the damage weekend. I want to knock out damage. I want to produce damage this weekend. And uh, so I'll just go buy like two bottles of Kim Crawford wine, and I go down in, uh, in my studio and uh, knock it out in a weekend, which is nice. I can do it in a weekend and uh, get it done. And uh, it, I'm a control freak anyway, so it works out. Uh, I play everything on it and get it done. Wow, that's awesome. And what is the process like? Because I talked to Scott Stevens recently, and he uh, self-produced his album as well. And he was talking about just really diving in and like with the bass, like looking at what's going to rattle a car speaker or, you know, where you have to put it. And so what is it like when you're self-producing? Do you sometimes have to look at it as good enough? Because if you continue to work on it, you'll never be finished. Yeah, you know, I... I don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I think coming from a, the musical background, you know, and uh, and being a being kind of like really an instrumentalist first. You know, that's how I, I started this whole thing. And um, I think I just kind of know the the pieces of the puzzle. And I look at it all as puzzle pieces. You know, bass is part of it, and then you know, guitar is part of it. And um, I definitely, when I produce the songs, I try to, and even when I write the songs, like, what do people want to hear? Do they want to hear this part? Uh, is this going to distract from the lyric? Like, what, are they, what do they want to hear when the song starts? What's going to keep them engaged? Um, and that's why, you know, I definitely drink wine while I do this because it, it definitely helps me uh, not overthink what I'm doing um, and just kind of do it. And if it sounds good, if I would listen to it for three minutes, then I don't know. I, it's done to me. I, I, I'm done with it. Uh, as long as everything's in tune, I would say that's when I know it's done. Right. Yeah. And now with the crossover, I was talking to CJ Solar the other day, another artist I was speaking to, and he was talking about his journey that's similar to yours and being a songwriter first and then moving into being an artist. And his thought when he started this, that the way you become an artist is you write some songs for other people and then you move into being an artist. But these days, for him, the thought sort of has changed in that you can do it that way, but an even even bigger part of it is you get famous on social media and then you become an artist. It's not so much you write for other people and become an artist. So where is your viewpoint within that whole world of crossing over? Yeah. You know, I think Tom will tell, I mean, I think, uh, I have a hard time. You know, I, I got to go see Kenny Chesney. Uh, you know, I got to go see him in Chicago, play soldier field for, uh, 65,000 people. And, uh, and I've gotten to see Morgan Wallen, who, uh, same thing, you know, a, a guy that started as a songwriter. You know, he had, I remember when uh, my buddy Brock Berryhill, who I wrote Happy Does With, I remember when I first moved here, um, him and Morgan playing me a song that they wrote for Kane Brown. That was their first cut ever. And uh, Morgan didn't have a record deal at the time. And, uh, you know, I look at, and then I look at Hardy, you know, these guys, these artists that have gone beyond being a social media act or just being a songwriter and oh my god they're they're stars and not only are there stars like not only do you love to see them on your social media but their songs are so good they're so good and uh their shows are so good because they've they've been behind the scenes working on the stuff that you know you're gonna have to do for the next 10 15 20 years of your life um, you know, I don't know what I don't know what social media is going to look like in 25 years, but I know what uh, what song we're still going to need songs and we're still going to need music and we're still going to have to have people that do it really good. Um, just like, you know, football players and baseball players and basketball players, you know, we don't want amateurs out there. We want the best of the best. And um, 
to me for a long time the best of the best have been guys that learn how to write songs or at least find great songs first and then uh and then they take that step into the spotlight um because morgan's great on social media but i think you want to go to morgan's social media because you love his songs you love his artistry you yeah love his and uh and his social media supports the music it's not vice versa his music supports his social media so i i would like i hope i hope that great songs will always be the catalyst and uh great artists that produce great songs are are the people that uh that are selling out the stadiums uh instead of the people that you know uh and you know whatever way you make a living is great um i, I i'm happy for anybody that can find a career in music because it's hard as hell but uh yeah, I, I'm always a fan of just great songs first. Um, that's that's just that's my path, you know. Right. Yeah. And now we have five songs on the EP coming out, and then because you are self-producing your music, does that you give you the great opportunity to just continually, you know, get stuff ready and get stuff prepped to get out there? Absolutely. Oh my god, absolutely. And that's I'd say that's another thing about you know being a a songwriter first, and then you know artist second. Uh, after that, you know, is you know, we're, we're, I've always got the itch to want to go write a song. And, uh, and I also had the ability to go cut that song and put it out as fast as I want to, or as slow as I want to. Um, but you know, we're, we're always getting new songs every week that we're like, Oh, when should we put this one out? When should we put this one out? And, uh, so yeah, we're, it's definitely up to us. You know, we don't just have five songs and we're like, Oh, these are finally, we got five songs. You know, we're like, Oh man, we got like 25 songs that we want to put out this year. Um, and so we're just having to take our time, not trying to overwhelm anybody, but, uh, yeah, we're, we're stacked and we're locked and loaded. That's awesome. And now I believe you had the chance to play CMA Fest this year. And I also believe that you played it back in 2012 when you were first starting out. And so what has that experience been of thinking back to 2012 and then what was this year like in being able to be back out there and playing your own music? Yeah. 10 years later, you know, it's crazy. I, uh, I got to meet like the the head of CMAs uh, at the at a backstage of the Kenny Show in Huntsville, Alabama, um, a couple weeks before my first my actual first artist CMA this year, you know, and um, I was telling her about that time, you know, where I I came to Nashville and found my way on a stage uh, in CMA Fest and and how I I'd been to when it was called Fanfare when I was a when I was a baby, um, so obviously it was it was a massive silver lining thing for me. Um, to see the the CMA Fest logo with my name next to it, you know, it was just uh, it was incredible, and I got to wander around the streets of Broadway and Nashville just to go uh, to go hear songs that I wrote for other people, and then also like getting to go on stage and sing my own stuff. So it was just uh, it was an incredible week, man. That was uh, one of the best weeks of my life for sure. That's awesome. And so as you jump into this artist career, you've talked about it's not an easy career, and so are you prepared? for what's to come absolutely yeah absolutely you know i think uh, again you know I, I hope that uh other my songs connect with people and uh it seems like they, they have been and uh i just i just want to keep doing that you know my, at the end of the day i write songs to tell stories and um i sing them just because i love it at the end of the day you know even if other people don't i love it i love doing this and um and so i've just i'm obsessed with it i want to keep doing it no matter what that's awesome. And a bit of a cheesy question, but once people have the EP out for them, is there one song that if they had to start with one song on this EP, I know you order them, uh, there's a reason for the order, but is there a song within here that you would say, go listen to that one first? 
You know what? I hope people listen collectively. Uh, I really do. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, the title of the EP is I Hope She Hears These. And, um, you know, I, I have a person that I hope hears the whole thing collectively. I was going to ask. I was say, I was going to say, is there, is there someone who is the she within the title? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, and I, all, I think we all got the, the he and the she uh, that we, we hope hears a certain song, you know, f- by George Strait. We're like, oh, I hope she hears that and thinks of me, too. You know, like I'm thinking of her right now. Um, so I hope, you know, I, I hope people hear these songs collectively and can uh, can put themselves in the lyric and uh, put their heartbreak or their person they're in love with uh, as the she in these songs. Uh, because they, they, they definitely have a uh, there's a. It's a common theme in these songs, so that's why I hope that uh, people can at least uh, give one one pass through all five of these songs. Thank you once again so much for listening, and thank you to Graylin for stopping by and sharing his story. Be sure to check out his new EP, I Hope She Hears These, wherever you stream or buy your music. Please also be sure to give us a follow or maybe even leave us a review if you enjoyed today's episode and head over to countrymusicmademe.com to sign up for our newsletter. There you can stay up to date on all of our upcoming guests as well as receive exclusive content. Just head over to countrymusicmademe.com and hit that subscribe button. Thank you once again so much for listening and we'll see you next time on Country Music Made Me.